Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Flukey. Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Christ the King and Living Hope Lutheran Churches. We are congregations of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Port Washington and Saukville, Wisconsin. We believe God's love is for you. Here's our message for this week. Again, um, I'm Pastor Chris. I've been in the Synod now for about 28 years. 24 of those years I was at St. Matthew's in Wauwatosa. And the last three or so, um, I've been traveling around, uh, preaching at lots of different churches. So it's, it's really a privilege to be up here. And uh, I've gotten to know Pastor Daniel a little bit. You've got a wonderful pastor, really nice guy. So it's, it's good to be with you. I want to start my sermon with a story that doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. And I want to warn you about that because usually everybody expects the pastor to start off with a little bit of a joke, a little bit of a fun story, you know, to kind of get us into the sermon. And so I just want to warn you, this doesn't quite go that way, just so you know. Uh, we pastors do a lot of weddings. At St. Matthew's, we were kind of known as a wedding chapel. Um, so in my career, I've done about 150 weddings so far, not that anybody's keeping track, right? Um, but the wedding I want to tell you about was a young couple that had just joined the church. They didn't really know anybody. Uh, and they asked me if I would do the wedding at the Fister Hotel, one of our crowning jewels of Milwaukee, right? And I'm used to doing weddings all over the place. So I said, sure, be happy to do that. Now, uh, I would say the wedding went off without a hitch or with a hitch. You could say whichever way. It went great. They were married at the end of it, right? So it was, it was all good. And as hotel weddings go... Um, if you've ever been to one of them, uh, usually the ballroom is set up to kind of look like a church. You know, they put all the chairs into rows and they have a little table with a candle on it, you know, to make it look like an altar. And so everything went great. And usually after the wedding, they say, now, if you would adjourn over to the other area, I always want to call it the, co- the coffee hour because I'm used to that on church time. But it was the cocktail hour, right? Move over to the, the bar area while they reset the room and get it ready for the dinner, right? It was right about that time I started to realize something, that I really only knew two people at that wedding, and you can guess who they were. The bride and the groom, thank you. And guess what? I wasn't really high on their list to make sure I was having a good time. Believe it or not, I was probably next to the wait staff, right? You know, he's here to do a job. We don't care if he's having a good time, right? So I'm trying to make my way around the cocktail hour. You know, I'm used to going to church weddings where you at least know a few people from church. They've invited a couple other church people and somebody to talk to. And I realize I don't know anybody. And I'm moving around the cocktail hour trying. I'm a friendly guy. I am Chris. I got a lot of, that's nice, move along, right? (laughs) You know, the, the circles would get a little tighter, right? And everybody was having a great time. But I started to realize that I really felt alone. I really felt like, you know, I'm not a part of this. You know, I'm not really welcomed here, even though I'm supposed to be running this thing, right? And I hadn't had that feeling, and it really started to feel kind of dark and lonely and kind of desperate. You know, I stopped trying to make friends, and I finally made my way out into the hallway, found a dark corner to sit in, and couldn't wait for my next job. You know, you need the pastor to say the prayer, right? Couldn't wait for that next job to go there, eat my dinner, say the prayer, and, and say, oh, this was such a beautiful occasion. Thank you so much for having me. Look at the time. I've got to get going. I've got church in the morning. 
I couldn't wait to get out of there because of that really dark, lonely feeling that I was feeling. I want to put a little bit of a pin in this story and come back to it later in my sermon. We have our gospel text today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I think we've all heard it many times. We know it well. Like I said, I travel around the synod. I've been to, I think you're the 95th church I've been to. And one of the churches I was at, a lady was some, I think we had a 94-year-old. Did I, did I hear that? 99-year-old at this other church. She was celebrating her birthday that day. They had a big cake for her and everything. It was really a special occasion. So I had to ask her, how many times have you heard the parable of the Good Samaritan? She said probably about 99 times, right? So we know it well. We've heard it before. But I want to go through it a little bit, pick it apart a little bit, talk about it in light of Outreach for Hope and what it means for us to be called to be people of faith. I put up an image for you. Uh, this is the road to Jericho. Um, we got to travel to Israel just a little bit ago, and we got to see this area. And it's a fairly desperate area. It's out in the desert, Judean desert, and, um, and it's a road. This is, the, this is the good version of the road, right? Uh, this road that winds through all these crevices. And so it's a great place to get robbed. Now Jesus starts off, as he does, with many scenes where people have gathered to hear him. They're, the crowds are leaning in to hear the word of God from, we would say, from God himself. And in this crowd, it says, there is a lawyer. Now a lawyer in Jesus' day, a little different than what we think of a lawyer, a lawyer is an expert in the Torah, someone who knows the Jewish law backwards and forwards, and so when people have questions about how should we live in order to uphold the law, you know, for example, uh, it says we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. You know, God rested on the seventh day. We should rest on the seventh day. Well, what does that mean? You know, cooking. You know, me and my house will say cooking is definitely work. We are happy to put it aside. There's many other people that say no. No, I come home from a hard day of work and I get into the kitchen and I concoct and I move things around and I create beautiful smells and tastes and it's, it's life-giving to me. How can that be work? You know, so which is it? The lawyers would be the ones to say, well, this is how we live out the law. This is what God is talking about. So they knew the law and they were one of the leaders of the Jewish people. So the leaders like the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were the ones that told people how we live according to the law, how we are to be faithful people according to what God has given us, right? And so they were the ones that, when Jesus showed up, weren't too excited about this because Jesus took things in different ways and challenged the uh, status quo. You know, he would say, you know, the people honor me with their lips. They do all these laws, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me, right? So Jesus is calling back to the heart, calling people to be people of faith again, and not just live according to doing all the rote things, but to live as people of God. And so this lawyer is there to test Jesus. He's hoping to catch Jesus in some sort of a teaching where he can go, aha, you're leading the people the wrong way. You know, we need to get rid of this guy. That's what the, the leaders are all hoping for. And so it says in our text, he comes to him with a, a test. He says, teacher, with all reverence, right? Teacher, 
you know, how can we inherit eternal life? How can we get to heaven, right? What do we need to do? You know, give me a list. Tell me exactly what I need to do so I know I, I can have earned that. And Jesus says, well, I, I always love the way Jesus answers these tests. Did you notice this? Turns it back on the person with a question. It's always a smart rule, right? Turn it back on them with a question. He says, well, you're an expert in the law. What do you read there? So, missed it, right? So he says, well, the law says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? I call that the up and down relationship of the cross, right? Love God. And he says, and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. That's a side-to-side relationship. Love God. Love neighbor, right? Jesus says, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. He's kind of, hmm, didn't quite get it. So he's hoping still to catch him. He says, oh, okay, but who is my neighbor? I mean, tell me who I have to love, right? Is it the people on either side of my house? Are they my neighbors? Is it the people all the way to the end of the block? You know, that whole list of people? Do I have to love all them? Is it the person across the street? Tell me I don't have to love the person across the street. I don't know if you've seen the person across the street. I don't know that they're lovable, right? Who do I have to love? And Jesus starts with this famous parable. We've even given it a title, a parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, a man was traveling down this road, right? And I'm sure as soon as he said, traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Gerard, going from the very heights of Israel, this pinnacle where Jerusalem is, all the way down to Jericho, which is literally the lowest spot on the face of the earth. It's right near the Dead Sea. It's this hot desert area where things just do not grow. I'm sure when he said that, everybody had this image and they went, uh-oh, this isn't going to go well. We know about that road. You only go down that road if you absolutely have to, and if you do, you bring security with you, right? Because it's a great place to get robbed. And of course, we know the story. Person does get robbed. And not just robbed, but beaten and left for dead, literally laying there in the dust of the earth. Surely will die if nobody comes along to help. But somebody does come along to help, Jesus says. And who is it? This is the interactive part of the sermon. A priest, right? Now, priests are helpers, right? Pastors, priests. It's kind of the job description, right? We're supposed to help people. That's kind of the point. So here comes a helper. And I'm sure the whole crowd was like, oh, phew, this is taken care of, right? We've got a helper. That's great. But we know the story. Priest gets to the scene, sees the person laying there, sees how badly they've been hurt, sees how much need they are in, and what does the priest do? crosses the road to the other side around this person and keeps going. I'm sure the crowd went, wait wait a minute, the helper is supposed to help, right? Second person comes along, this is a little bit more tricky, who is it? This is where everybody goes, "Uh, what was that? (laughs) Every church. Anybody? A Levite. A Levite comes along. Now, a Levite is a professional church worker. They're the ones that show up early, get the doors open, thank you so much. They get the sound working, they've tested everything out, everybody can hear us at home. Hi, everybody at home. Aunt Peggy, hi. 
right? So they've got everything lined up. They've got the screens ready. They've got the sound ready. They've got the lights. They've got the, the room temperature is perfect so that everyone can show up for worship and nothing will get in their way of worshiping their God, right? A Levite is a professional church. They're another helper, aren't they? So another helper gets to the scene. A, a church person, right, gets to the scene, sees the person laying there in the dust of the earth, surely will die if nobody comes along to help. And they cross the road to the other side. And they keep on going. Now I want to stop the sermon here. Interactive part again. What are their reasons for crossing the road and keeping on going? What are our reasons why we often cross the road and keep on going? Give me some reasons. We, there's hundreds of them. Fear, big one, huge, huge reason why people see that and go, oh. I'm going to be really honest with you right now, and this embarrasses me every Sunday when I tell this story. Someday I'll fix this. But fear stops me a lot. Every day I, I drive to work, and my office is in the bishop's office. It's uh, at Ascension Lutheran Church. It's right near the domes, if you know where the domes are. So I drive from Wauwatosa past American Family Field. i got to get that right. And, um, and I exit on 35th Street. When you get on 35th, you go over the bridge, the 35th Street Bridge. It's about um, a little less than a mile long across this bridge. So many times, middle of winter, coldest day of the year, wind is really moving. I get off that exit, start to make my way across that bridge, and just about that same time, someone is starting to walk across that bridge. It's a good 15-minute walk across that bridge, no protection, the cold wind. And I'm thinking to myself, that is a hard walk. I should stop. I should give them a ride. You know, it would take me 60 seconds to get across this bridge in. They'd be in a warm car. I should. I should. You know, but I think, you know, I don't know. I might be laying there if I stop and help. Right? If I open my car up, am I going to be walking and they're going to be driving away with my car? Fear stops us so often, doesn't it? I'm embarrassed to tell that story. But it stops me. What are other reasons that we cross the road? Time. Time. I got a lot on my I got a lot to do today. You know, my wife has told me if I don't bring home the milk today, I've done, not done it the last three days. If I don't do it today, I'm in trouble. You know, I, I get this whole list. I, I, I don't have the time. What's the famous mantra? Somebody else will be coming along. They'll help, right? Somebody else will do it. I, I got my list. I got to keep moving, right? Other reasons why? Prejudice. Prejudice. I don't trust them. That's a whole different group, you know? We don't, you know, they look different than me. I'm, I'm just not used to that kind of person. Somebody their own kind will help out, right? Other reasons. There's hundreds of them. You know, I got my own problems. I got, I got my own stuff. I don't really want to add to the list, <laughs> right? Yeah, all sorts of things. There's a big religious one. I don't know if everybody's 
knows this. We learned about it when we went to Israel. So um, you had to remain ritually clean as a priest, as a Levite. Otherwise, you couldn't do your job. So you had to remain ritually. So if you touched any blood, that was often took you out of commission. Usually took about a week to go through the whole process of becoming ritually clean again. Didn't mean you were completely clean. It just meant you were ritually clean so that you could perform the duties of a priest. So maybe that priest is going to do a wedding someplace, the bishop's daughter. And if they stopped and helped, they would not be allowed to do their job when they got there. So great reason. You know, I'm sorry. I wish I could help. I really wish I could. I mean, that's the other phrase. I really wish I could help, right? But I can't. So many reasons why we, me, often cross the road and keep on going. All right, let's keep going with the sermon. So, third person comes along. Who is it? The Samaritan. Now, I believe when I get to heaven, I'm hoping there's some sort of video system there that that has the whole library of Jesus and when he actually, I mean like 4D, you know, where you get to sit in the crowd and experience the actual Jesus telling the story, because I envision him telling this story. He says, and a Samaritan comes along. And I think he just stops for emphasis. And he looks at their faces. And they're all grimacing. And they're all thinking, Samaritan. Samaritans are just going to make it worse, right? They all hated the Samaritans. The Jews and Samaritans were arch rivals. Even though... They grew up in the same area. They came from the same traditions. They honored the same uh, Old Testament text. Although they lifted up certain ones as more important than the other, they sang the songs a little differently. You know, they had their holy sites were a little different. They did it all just a little differently. And they looked at the other group and said, You're doing it wrong. You gotta do it like me. I'm right, you're wrong, you're the heretic. So they really didn't get along. Now as a pastor, 28 years, you know, I've heard um, people tell me about the 1950s and Lutherans and Catholics, there was a sense of you just didn't get along. And I hear people say, oh, we weren't allowed to play with Catholic children. And I went, really? That, that was a thing? Seriously? Maybe it was like that. Maybe it was like that. Hopefully we're way past that now. But Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So a Samaritan comes along, the Jewish crowd is going, this is going to go badly, I'm just warning you. Right? But we know the story. We've given a title to it, the Good Samaritan. Samaritan gets to the scene, sees this person, ignores all the voices in their heads, their head, that is telling them all these different reasons to cross the road and keep on going. No, they get off their animal. They go down to the person. They clean their wounds, bandage their wounds, lift this person onto that. Imagine how much work that was. They always say lifeless bodies are like moving jello, right? You know, How do you move them up, get them on the animal? They take them down the rest of this really difficult road. They find an inn. They stay overnight with the person. Did you catch that part? It's not until the next day they talk to the innkeeper. Stay overnight with this person taking care of them. Then they say to the innkeeper the next day, 
I have to keep traveling for work? Here's two weeks of my own wages. Two weeks' wages. That's what two denarii are, right? Take care of this person. Give them whatever they need to help heal them. I'll come back after my work. I'll stop in and make sure they're still doing okay. Whatever more you've spent, let me know. I will repay you that much more. Way above and beyond helping this person, right? Way above and beyond. All these things they've done. Now Jesus stops the story there, and he says, Now, which of these three people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the person who fell into the hands of robbers? Did you notice? The lawyer did not say the Samaritan. The lawyer couldn't even speak the word Samaritan. He wasn't going to give Samaritans credit. What he says is the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus ends this text by saying, now go and do likewise. I think that wasn't just to the lawyer or to the crowd. I think that was to us. Go and be people of mercy. You think of all the times in our lives, people that are struggling with the difficulties of what it means to be living this world, you know? I, I am honored and privileged to be the director of Outreach for Hope. 20 ministries that we're supporting right now, 20 that we're partnering with, we help financially, but then even more so, we try to make connections. A lot of congregations, unlike yours, aren't connected with um, these churches, you know? How do you make those connections? How do you grow in your relationship? Get to know what they're going through. Think about Redeemer that you're connected with. Redeemer and right near Marquette there on 19th in Wisconsin. You know, every week they do a, a, a food meal program where people come in. I've been there during that time and people really bringing their families in, you know, helping out. They say in Milwaukee County alone, 140,000 people. 140,000 people in Milwaukee County alone are food insecure. Food insecure means you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Can you imagine that? Not sure where your next meal, today's next meal lunch, is coming from? Not to speak of dinner, right? That's feeling like you've been left for dead. That's fear, isn't it? And if that's not scary enough, imagine if you have children. I see those families come into this meal. These beautiful little kids. Not sure where their next meal is going to come from. That's feeling like you're not sure how life is going to keep going. You're not going to sh sure how you're going to make it down the road. Right? These ministries do that incredible work. Walking with people who are material, materially poor. Right? We would say they still have a lot to give, people that have so much life to give. But because of their financial security, insecurity, they don't know how to feed their families, how to even pay rent that day. You know? I was with one uh, at uh, St. Paul's just down the street from Redeemer. They did, uh, one of their focuses is a clothing ministry. They do a lot with household items and clothing. And I went to one of the events, and I was talking to a lady that was there. Um, it was a, getting into the fall, starting to get cold, and they had all sorts of cl colder uh, clothing and bedding and things like that. And I said, you know, what does this all mean to you? You know, is this, is this really important? She goes, 
I, I don't have, I barely have money to pay rent, you know, trying to find food, you know, I don't have extra money to buy clothing and have the things I need for the winter. Imagine not, in our Wisconsin winters, knowing how cold that gets. That's just as important as food. That's life-giving stuff, having the right clothing. My, like I said, my office is at Ascension twice. I've worked late, happened to come out on some of these super cold days, you know, these days where I make sure I've got my hat, my mittens, my scarf, my boots, you know. I'm wearing layers, you know, because I know it's, it's life-threatening if you don't have the right in those days, right? Twice I've come out of my office at Ascension, and different people have come up to me. Once was a lady, once was a man, and they're not wearing the clothing they need. One, the lady was just wearing a jumpsuit, and she said, I don't have a place to go tonight. And I'm thinking, you're not going to make it through the night wearing that, being out in this, this weather. Luckily, I was able to say, well, on the other side of Ascension, they had a warming, warming room that people could go to, you know, that were homeless. I was able to get both of them to those, that, that location. But that's, that's feeling like you're not sure how you're going to survive. That's feeling like you've been left for dead. But our ministries do that work. They care for people that have been literally finding themselves literally in the gutter. You know, not sure how they're going to survive. And they walk with people, helping them get food, but then even more importantly, that hope, that sense of care, that sense of the compassion that we see Jesus have continuously, caring and loving and walking with people that need to know that they have not been forgotten, right? that they have not been left for dead. I love to tell all of my married couples, this is my wedding sermon, if you're ever at one of my wedding sermons, you're going to hear me say it. I just did my daughter's wedding uh, last August, and it was in her wedding sermon too, right? I say, you know, y'all look good. You know, your hair and your makeup are perfect. You're looking beautiful. We're all so happy for you. It's a great day. But I want to warn you, guess what? Not every day is going to look this good, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, right? Sometimes there's going to be some really hard days in your married life. Really hard days. I hate to say that to you, but that's just life, right? Life has its wonderful, beautiful days that we celebrate and, and party, right? Like the weddings. But it also has those days that are so hard, that you're not sure what to do next. And I remind them that what you've done is you've gathered your friends and your family here today to party with you and celebrate with you, yes. But even more importantly, to remind you that in those really hard days, the days where you don't know what you're going to do next, we're here with you as well. We want to be there with you, walking with you, just like those Outreach for Open Ministries, walking with people, when they're not sure what to do next, helping them up to move down the road. You know, I tell that silly little story at the beginning of my sermon where I felt so alone. Oh, poor Chris, right? But imagine the difference it would have made to me if someone had just said, hey, you're a pastor. What's that like? You know, struck up a little conversation with me made me, brought me in a little bit, you know, they don't have to even be that interested. But just 
showing a little care, a little concern, a little welcome means so much. I would want to remind us that God has given us an incredible gift. And this gift is a gift of each other, right? God has created this incredible thing called the church, the family of God, so that we would know that we are not alone. We have people around us celebrating with us these wonderful days, these beautiful days like we have today, celebrating the goodness of life, but also with us during those really hard days, helping us to know that we are not alone. Pastor Carrie Anderson writes this uh, devotion. She wrote it about, wasn't quite even a year into the pandemic, reflecting on all the difficulty that we had all gone through, right? We remember those days, right? They're not, they're not a distant memory. And she wrote this, and it really struck me. She writes, when I consider the events of this past year, hope is not usually the first word that comes to my mind. In many ways, this year has been a tremendous struggle for most of us. People have lost connections with each other. They've lost jobs, and some have even lost loved ones. For those who have lost loved ones, adding to the loss is the inability to gather together to celebrate and remember that person's life. It's been a challenging, fearful time, threatening our very hope. But she continues. But even in the midst of struggle, hope can flourish when we claim the Spirit's witness to us that whatever comes, we are still God's children. We are never truly alone. Though we tend to think of hope as a personal experience, the truth is hope cannot survive in isolation. I want to read that again. The truth is hope cannot survive in isolation. Hope needs community. People need each other for hope to thrive. It's through others, joined together as God's chosen ones, that the Spirit of God continues to come to us and breathes that very life of hope into us. We've been given a great gift, haven't we? And it's that gift of each other. Celebrating the good stuff of life, singing wonderful music, joining together as the church, celebrating what God has blessed us with, and calling us to be there for each other, to be people of mercy, loving our neighbor, showing that concern. Sometimes it just means reaching out with a phone call. How are you doing? I hear you're going through this right now. I want you to know you're not alone. A friend of mine just told me yesterday at the Synod Assembly that her mother was going in for surgery, and she said, please pray for us. Knowing that someone is praying for you, knowing that someone is thinking about you, worried about you, caring for you, means all the difference in the world. We've been given a great gift. And it's our calling to be people of mercy, to walk with each other through the joys and the celebrations of this life, and through the difficulties, so that everyone would know God's love and grace and mercy and compassion for each of us. Let us pray. To great and gracious God, we give you thanks. We thank you for joining us together as your people, for creating this family that we are a part of, for blessing us with beautiful days like today, 
and calling us to be people of mercy, caring for one another. We thank you, and we ask that you give us courage and strength. Help us to put aside the fear so that we wouldn't cross the road to the other side, but to live out what it means to be people of love, compassion, grace, and mercy. Thank you. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your love. Bless us this day and always to be your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Living Hope and Christ the King, to ask for prayer, or to make a donation to support the work we are doing in Ozaki County, you can visit our websites at livinghopesockville.org or ctkport.org, or click the link in the show notes to find us online or on social media. May God bless you, and we hope you'll join us again soon.